You're listening to From the Front Lines, a special podcast from WUFT during the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast provides weekly updates on Florida's coronavirus response with a particular focus on North Central Florida. Each week, From the Front Lines will feature community leaders and frontline workers working to reopen their communities safely during these challenging times. Hello, I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and this is From the Front Lines. August is approaching fast, and for most colleges and universities in Florida, that means so is the start of the fall semester. These schools all have multiple motivations for reopening, ranging from political to financial. University of Florida President Kent Fox addressed those issues in a town hall with faculty and staff this week. If we have to get into a situation like we did in the spring, the the financial impact on our employees and our students will be dramatic. What's really a question here is, while it may be important to reopen college campuses this fall, is it safe to do so? In this episode, we hear primarily from students about how they feel continuing their education in person during a pandemic. We talk to incoming freshmen, out-of-state students, and international students about how return plans are impacting each of them differently. A number of state colleges and universities have unveiled plans to bring students back to campus in the fall, including the University of Florida. Gabriella Paul spoke with Louis Toledo, a data and policy analyst researching campus responses to COVID-19 through the College Crisis Initiative at Davidson College about the viability of U.S. reopening plan. So, Louis, what has been your takeaway after spending hours of reading these long-winded and sometimes uh, vague policy plans? It's interesting how at the beginning you can see this uh, the vocabulary generally being, being murky, being unclear, but after you spend some time uh, really getting to know the plans, uh, all of a sudden everything, everything clicks when you're able to read a plan and within like just within three minutes you can figure out, okay, I understand what this, what this institution is doing and where they, where they are going forward. Uh, I thought you could speak to some specific policy concerns that parents, students, and professors of the Gator Nation have voiced. Here is a line from a redacted email of a concerned parent whose college student has asthma. How do you propose to honestly keep my child who, mind you, has acute asthma? I'm truly want to know because I'm so worried at this point. U.S. Reopening does address this parent's concern on page 9, saying that managers and office of ADA will work with individuals with disabilities or high-risk conditions. What do you make of this? Just understanding that each student has very specific needs and also understanding that how immense and how important and wonderful it is to feel support from, to feel institutional support. So when you find a plan that might not be very specific, when it, that doesn't necessarily speak to you, it can be very challenging. And understanding that, for example, with um, students who, who might be immunocompromised, students um, who might have uh, disabilities, it is important to understand that every single task force, every single part of the institution should be committed to their safety beyond a particular office. There is also a whole page and a half that talks about campus culture, and it almost reads as if UF is saying that it just really hopes the community can social distance, have good hygiene, and just care for for other people. Can you talk about how this compares to other university plans or just the significance of this campus culture that they're talking about? Yeah, I think this is a particular issue that goes beyond uh, UF. You will see that across institutions you will find, uh, particularly the the phrase share responsibility or just trusting students to uh, practice better judgment. Um, And I think in general, you can see, particularly with UF, because I would say their plan was 
released fairly early compared to other institutions, um, you will see this struggle of uh, wanting to give student, students freedom, but also acting um, as a parental uh, authority, just uh, wanting to enforce. I will say one area that UF is definitely stepping back from its parental role is the area of Greek life. So as a, a recent graduate myself and an alumna of the Panhellenic community, this one line on page six says, student groups, including sororities and fraternities that wish to reopen and fall must submit plans to maintain health and safety. I find that really interesting um, as somebody that myself has gone through recruitment and been part of the organized exposure of thousands of girls. So what is your take on that? It's simply a contradiction of uh, as an institution, when you release your plan, many institutions particularly, I, I think UF just acknowledges in, in the first few pages that things will be changing, um, that this is just um, the COVID pandemic is, has submitted us to just constant, constant change. Um, so it is a contradiction of um, are you like, you're expecting students to find answers when you as an institution cannot find some answers yourself? Moving away from undergraduates to faculty and staff of the University of Florida, page seven says a phased approach to bringing employees back determined by each college department in coordination with UF Human Services is being implemented. The universities really want to, for liability reasons, say that they've screened X amount of people, um, but sometimes in reality, implementing those models, like everything, is complex. Yeah, it is very complex. And it always comes back to this expectation that we have set as a society of the goal is to reopen in the fall. It is hard to recognize that that might not be true or recognize that the environments that we have navigated uh, for many years will not look the same, make it look the same. And I think overall, uh, what has happened is that institutions are falling into this uh, trap of just wanting to make sure that their plan is, um, yes, safe, but also they're planning to look as close to normal as possible, where I, where I don't think that should be one of the goals. The goal should be safety, uh, no matter what. With colleges and universities unveiling their reopening plans, we now know how administrators feel about returning to campus in the fall. But Anthony Montalto talks to students about how they feel returning to campus. A few months ago, when someone would hear the words hotspot, they might have thought of a cool new bar in town or a fun place to hang out with friends. But amid the coronavirus pandemic, those two little words have taken on a whole new meaning. And with the start of the school year fast approaching, universities in those hotspots, like Nova Southeastern University in Davie, say they're working hard to reopen safely. We have made face coverings mandatory on all of our campuses and sites. So anyone who's not wearing a face covering will be asked to leave or to don a face covering. So we're trying to make sure everybody can keep themselves safe. We're requiring mandatory physical distancing, so six feet apart minimum. That's Brandon Hensler, NSU's Public Relations and Marketing Communications Executive Director. He says Nova students have the option whether to complete their classes online or in person. So students have a choice. They can continue to come on campus and learn in person. They can continue to do their classes fully online like we did last spring when COVID broke out, or they can do a hybrid learning. You know, if someone is, decides they want to come back to campus and they want to live in a residence hall and they want to take courses in person, they can do that. He says hybrid learning is important in case a student gets sick. That student wouldn't need to come to class in person. Instead, they could opt to go to class online for the day. Other universities like the University of Florida have announced similar hybrid course plans for the fall semester. And the University of Central Florida said in an email Wednesday that, quote, 
Our reopening plans for the fall are designed for us to adjust quickly and to be able to shift completely online again if needed, end quote. UCF biology senior Faith Fox says all her fall classes have been moved to an online format. I think it's definitely like really good to have, at the very least, an option to do it all online. I don't think anyone should be forced to go in person and be with all those people, especially in like those giant lecture halls where everyone's right next to each other. Fox says while she appreciates the efforts to keep students safe, she does wish some lab courses were in person. I signed up for a lab that was going to be all outside in the Arboretum so it wouldn't have to be super close and we could all spread out and like, you know, look through the woods and stuff. But that one's online, so I really have no idea how that's going to work at all. And she says she believes UCF is making the right calls for this coming semester and that those calls are also applying to her extracurricular life. She's a supplemental instructor for Biology 2, which means she hosts help sessions for students enrolled. Next semester, it's going to be all online. So the lectures are online, and then all of my sessions I'm holding through Zoom. And we did that this summer as well. So it's good that, you know, we don't have to go in in person. And in Jacksonville at the University of North Florida, public relations senior and esports club president Daniel Gannon worries about the future of his club in a semester of social distancing. The main thing I'm concerned with is I also work for the UNF Game Room, and we do in-person tournaments for people who are outside the club. People from the club still come, usually cater, it's usually a blast, and that's usually a big sense of community. He says while the club's core is dooming fine, he worries the potential closure of the game room will hinder the club's growth. And as far as his classes, Gannon says his summer math class was shifted to an online format. My class for summer semester, I was supposed to take a math class. I had to do that online, so I unfortunately did not do too well in that class, specifically because it was online. He says he's excited to have a couple of classes in person this fall. I do now have classes on campus, which I'm really excited about. That's just how I learn. But it seems that they're, they're trying to accommodate people you know, who have trouble with online learning and stuff like that. Gannon says he thinks his university is also doing the right thing for its students. I think the message that they tried to convey is, is pretty clear. It's, A, if you can come. Or if you have to come, do. If you really don't want to, stay home, stay safe, stay healthy. And back at Nova, Hensler says students can look forward to taking a mandatory COVID-19 training course before they return. It'll be available through Canvas, which is our online learning platform, and through our HR website for staff. It will be completed and available by the 27th of July, which is the first date that we're welcoming back some of our healthcare and medicine students. And while scientists are still learning about the coronavirus, he says NSU's administration is ready to stay flexible to keep its students and faculty safe. The fall semester begins in six weeks and University of Florida students are getting ready to return to campus. But for out-of-state students, returning to Gainesville next month is more complicated than for others. Taylor Levesque spoke to a couple of out-of-state students who say that despite the school's plan to reopen campus, they've decided to stay home for the fall semester. Rising UF senior Reagan Fuel lives in Maryland but is spending her summer in Brooklyn, Maine. The city is located in Hancock County, a county home to more than 54,000 people and a very small number of coronavirus cases. According to USAFacts.org, as of Thursday, the county had less than 20 confirmed coronavirus cases and one death. Fuel says she doesn't know if it's the best idea to return to the Sunshine State. 
part of me just wants to stay in Maine until I realize how open the campus is going to be, how open Gainesville is going to be. I have a lot more freedom here than I would if I was in Gainesville, especially for how bad the cases in Florida are. But whether fuel stays out of state or returns to Florida, she says her classes would be online. We're paying out-of-state tuition and I don't get the same like academic resources if I'm at home taking online classes. I don't have the same like campus activities. You don't get any of them anymore. So it's like, why would we be paying out-of-state tuition for me to just take classes in my own home? Assistant Vice President of Communications Steve Orlando says since the university's reopening plan was released, many students and parents have reached out with questions about tuition. We are hearing from some out-of-state students who are concerned about the fact that, you know, if they have a schedule that ends up being all online classes, that they're you know, still paying out-of-state tuition. And says the numbers will not change. We will not be changing tuition. Though. We've really worked very hard to add a lot of new platforms <clears throat> to improve the online experience. And the fact of the matter is we've invested a lot in that. And it's actually, believe it or not, it's a little more expensive to do classes online than it is in person. Rising junior Erin Cho lives in New Jersey. She decided to stay home for the fall semester because she felt it was safer. I guess it's like harder for out-of-state students because like obviously you want to go to Florida, but like the numbers are crazy right now. I was like, this will just save me money and I'll just stay home. And while she thought the decision was financially smarter, now she is facing the challenges of finding another student to take over her apartment lease. I'm like looking everywhere. I'm like posting every day and like it's hard because I find that a negotiable price is a good enough price, but like some people want like less and I'm like, you won't find any less. So like, just take it from me. Fuel is in the same boat. It's pretty unfortunate that I still have to pay it, but I'm stuck into a year lease. It's just kind of the circumstances of this pandemic. So it, all of it is very unfortunate, but it's just what, you know, we kind of got to deal with but says not returning in fall has more than just financial challenges. My biggest fears are I'm not going to have as many academic resources and I'm also not going to be as involved on campus. I mean, I don't really know how much anyone's going to be able to be involved, but it's definitely a setback. Orlando says the university's reopening plan allows students to attend labs and classes safely in person that would be difficult to hold remotely. For instance, a voice class in the College of the Arts, where when you sing, that increases the likelihood of you know spreading through respiratory droplets. So if you can move that outdoors under a tent in a space where people can remain socially distanced without having to wear a mask and without endangering each other. Another example would be dairy science, where a student has to actually be out in the field, you know, hands-on, you know, with animals. You can't recreate that quite experience online. So those are the ones that need to happen. Orlando says he is optimistic the fall semester will be successful and wants to reassure everyone that the university's plan accommodates students who wish to take classes in person or online. It's been a roller coaster few months for international students as the pandemic has thrown their status into uncertainty. Josh Williams takes us through the highs and lows. To fully understand the directive that was reversed, we have to back up to March. That's when the federal government issued a guideline that would protect international students, allowing them to stay in the United States. It's something that the dean of the International Center at UF, Dr. Leonardo Villalon, felt caught educators off guard. 
um, we had all been working, all, I mean, all universities in the United States have been working under the assumption, um, not only an assumption, we had been told to expect that that guidance would continue and that continuing international students could adapt to the fall semester and so that any courses were online, they could take them online, et cetera. That new guidance that came down changed that and said, no, they in fact have to take a minimum of one class with an in-person physical presence requirement. Fast forward to the start of July, four months later, the government gave the directive to end that protection. What I can say about the University of Florida is, um, uh, the first thing is that our reaction immediately was, wow, this is really surprising and unexpected and incredibly challenging. Um, and, uh, and lots of other adjectives people used about this order. Um, and, then, and then to say, okay, what are we gonna do to ensure that our international students can continue to study? In an effort to aid international students, universities around the country took a look at what they could do, whether it be hybrid classes or independent studies. Multiple professors, even some at the University of Florida, posted on Twitter and Facebook saying they would be willing to offer in-person credit to international students to maintain their status. Dr. Todd Curry, an associate professor of political science at the University of Texas, El Paso, says he had at least 40 students reach out to him about the possibility. The tweet that I put out that went viral was before the University of Texas at El Paso actually had a response. Um, and so when I saw um, what they were, what, what the rule actually meant, I offered um, any student at UTEP um, that is international that needs a face-to-face -face course, that I would do an independent study with them, um, that we would meet once a week um, outside mask um, and be as safe as possible while still complying um, with the new federal regulation. But those actions never had to be taken. Instead, several lawsuits were filed, including those from Harvard, MIT, and California's upper education systems. They argued requiring international students to take in-person classes would put them and instructors in danger for COVID, as well as threaten education and research efforts. All things Dr. Villalon summarizes as harmful. Uh, 16 states collectively uh, filed a lawsuit um, arguing on behalf of their state university systems, um, arguing that this was capricious, cruel, reckless, and wrongly done. Um, and uh, so it's a pretty powerful uh, uh, suit they filed. In the end, a week and a half after the directive, federal leaders decided to keep the protection that was passed in March, allowing international students to continue to stay and study in the U.S. It's something Mike Laffey, the International Student Studies Coordinator at Santa Fe College, says is not only important for the international students, but for the domestic ones as well. Uh, so they bring something unique to our campus, and I think they bring something unique and important to the classroom. They bring a different perspective, uh, things that they learned uh, in their countries that they're now bringing here to Gainesville. I think that's very important. Despite the reversal, education leaders say there still needs to be a heavy focus on international students, highlighting their impact on the country's education and research systems. And as Dr. Villalon says, even the economy. International students um, bring uh, enormous resources to the United States, even if you think in fairly narrow economic terms. International students contribute somewhere in the range of 40 to $45 billion a year to the U.S. economy. Um, they, they bring enormous amounts of talent and skills here. Um, and these are people who are 
not American, but who are buying an American product, education. And it's because it's one we do really well. And as Laffey notes, directive or not, college and universities will continue to support their international students in whatever ways possible. How can we serve these students? How can we make sure that, that they are able to maintain their status? So that's been our commitment. And now that the guidance has been rescinded, that will not change. We will continue uh, working with our students so that they can maintain their status for the fall semester and beyond. From having their last day of high school in April to graduating with social distancing in effect in June, the class of 2020 now has to transition to college in the middle of a pandemic. Cameron Lund spoke with two such students who are both navigating this difficult time in different ways. The senior class of 2020 hasn't really had that historic moment in history to look back on and be able to say, I was alive when dot dot dot. But now they are known as the high school students who got cheated out of a graduation by a global pandemic not seen by the likes of their parents, grandparents, or even great-grandparents. Morgan Laguerre, an incoming University of Florida freshman from Jacksonville Beach, spoke about the vast change that went along with her last weeks in high school. One week I was at school, and then the next week I was on spring break to go back and finish up my senior year with fun activities such as going to Universal and going out of town together. However, we received news that the coronavirus was spreading and that we all had to stay home in quarantine, which was just completely unexpected. And ending my senior year, I never got that closure of saying goodbye to my classmates, saying goodbye to my teachers, and thanking everybody. Laguerre had planned on taking her classes in person and even has a lease already signed, meaning she will be in Gainesville for the fall. Laguerre does not want the ongoing pandemic to stop her from being engaged socially, but she worries that an online environment may hamper her ability to meet new people. It's going to be something that we all have to overcome and find new ways to make new friends. I know especially me, I am the only girl attending the University of Florida from my school. So I really have to start from ground zero and build my way up. And honestly, I've already started making connections with some girls that live in my house and my roommates, which has been awesome. But I feel like not having those in-person classes, maybe you won't be sitting next to that person. And now we can't make connections by people in our own classroom and be able to make new friends from that. Nevertheless, Laguerre is just happy to be living out a dream that she has had since she was young, even though it is under unfortunate circumstances. I did not question ever not going to the University of Florida just because since middle school, the University of Florida has always been my number one dream school, just because um, I know that the academics is very rigorous and it's honestly not too far away from home from me. It's about an hour and a half, which isn't that bad. While students such as Laguerre aren't letting the coronavirus pandemic stop them from living a lifelong dream, others have had to face reality and change plans in the face of a crisis. Natalie Futch, a Gainesville resident and Buholt High School alum, planned on attending the University of North Florida and even already has her associate's degree from Santa Fe College to help ease the transition. She had scholarships and was looking to live on campus until the pandemic hit and her roommates decided to start looking at off-campus housing, something Futch says she cannot afford. A couple of the roommates that I had picked out or that we had like started talking um, to be roommates, they kind of decided to live off campus. Um, and financially, I couldn't live off campus because I was going to have a scholarship that would have paid for my housing. So I wasn't able to afford to live in an apartment in Jacksonville, let alone in Gainesville. 
Futch is now going to continue on at Santa Fe and finish up classes in the hopes of eventually becoming a designated nurse practitioner, a career slightly different than what she planned on attending UNF for. Futch says if finances were not the issue, she would have been an Osprey in the fall. I mean, if I had all the money in the world, I would have gone to UNF because I could have paid for an apartment. But I financially, I mean, I'm even, I'm working two jobs right now, plus babysitting, and I still couldn't have swum right. it. Much like Laguerre, Futch has big lifelong dreams she wants to fulfill, but she is instead taking another route to get there. This whole situation is kind of directing my future in a way, like, since I was like little, I knew I wanted to be a PA. And now my whole plan has kind of been turned around. I'm still doing something in the medical field, but being a PA is a two-year PA program. And doing nursing is nursing school, then it's nurse practitioner school, and then it's um, DNP school if you choose to go that far. So um, it's definitely derailed my plans a lot more than I thought it was going to. Tens of thousands of students will find themselves attending college in Florida for the first time in 2020. Many of them with similar stories and all of them will be facing the struggles of college life, the dark cloud of a pandemic continuing to impact day-to-day -day life. From the Front Lines is a production of the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. Thank you to our producers, Taylor Levesque, Anthony Montalto, Josh Williams, Melissa Fato, Gabriella Paul, and Cameron Lund. Also, thanks to our fellow Florida public media stations for their contributions to this podcast. And a special thank you to Matt Abramson and Craig Lee for their work behind the scenes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have a story to share with From the Front Lines, please contact WUFT on Facebook or Twitter, or send an email to news at WUFT.org. That's news at WUFT.org. Join us next Friday for another edition of From the Front Lines. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and of course, thanks for listening. <laughs>